The season is less than a month away. Fall camps are in session. Oh, what a glorious thing to be able to say. But now that we're getting to that time, who's got the biggest question marks and who's got the most answers when it comes to the quarterback room and who's kind of like everywhere else in between? We'll answer that today. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked on Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who's done so already. We just hit 800 subscribers on the YouTube channel, which is awesome. Even more than that on uh, when you factor in the podcast numbers. Like, I'm just... So grateful that you're all out there and enjoying the show for however much longer it exists, as uh, we like to joke here for the last few weeks and such. But this episode, which is uh, still rolling along, is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Quick note here at the top, because this is the last show that I'm recording before I go on a vacation for a couple weeks. Everything, there's still going to be shows. Don't worry. You get you got 19 in the next couple weeks coming your way, 20 or so. I don't know. I forget how to do math, and I lost count at some point. But uh, fear not, the show will continue even in my absence. But if you want to get in touch with me, at smalls underscore 55 is the Twitter handle, or at LO underscore Pac-12. You can hop in the YouTube comments as well. Ask me something in there. I won't be able to give you an answer on the show, you know, regular mailbag style for uh, a little bit until I'm back on the 22nd. So the 23rd is the first time that question might get answered. But I could always just, you know, shoot you a message back, uh, send you some thoughts if you have a question you want me to dive into. What we're diving into today is uh, the quarterback position. Most important in all of sports. And everybody right now, as fall camps begin and we start to get that uh, that sense of excitement and optimism about what the 2022 season might hold, may it be unpredictable as can be, I would love it if all my predictions are just wildly wrong and way off base, because that means we've got a lot of excitement. Um, but that probably won't be the case. But, you know, I'm not going to be right all the time. That's what makes it fun. It's trying to be right. Understand how you can be right. But then also admitting when you're wrong, which I will uh, I will be wrong plenty uh, as it re- pertains to my predictions and such. And that's OK, because we're going to have fun with it no matter what. But I want to go through each team's quarterback room and, and kind of where they're at uh, in terms of who knows what's happening for who's going to be behind or under center and who has a few more question marks there. Let me knock the four boring ones out of the way. Um, it's not a slight against any of these teams. It's just that they know exactly what their quarterback situation is, and there's just not that much to it. USC, Utah, Washington State, and Stanford. I can tell you who's going to be starting for all of them. No one's going to push back on it. Caleb Williams at USC, Cam Rising at Utah. Washington State will start their uh, incoming transfer, Cam Ward. Stanford will be rolling Tanner McKee out ahead of what could be his final year before he goes to the NFL. We'll see how it uh, goes down. But those four, no questions, no debate, no intrigue, nothing there. The team that's the most interesting when it comes to the quarterback position is Washington. And that's because Washington right now, I do not believe they've named a starter as I record this on August 4th. 
and I don't expect them to until fall camp comes to a, a close. Now, Kalen DeBoer may very well have an idea of what's going to happen. I have my own thoughts, which I'll share today, on what they should be doing. But at Pac-12 Media Days, I think that was last weekend. I, it's all blurring together. Yeah, it was <laughs> last weekend in Pac-12 Media Days. Kalen DeBoer was asked about uh, the quarterback situation there, and he did not you know, uh, tip his cap directly as to who a starter might be, though I think we have an idea. But he said the quarterback is a big part of his offense, that it's the driver uh, of his offense, and that makes it even more important of a decision uh, in terms of who is behind or under center there for the Huskies. And I don't think that's the case for every team, right? Teams like Cal, Oregon State that want to run the ball first, Oregon in the last several years with Cristobal. It hasn't mattered quite as much who's behind center because of how they, they play stylistically. But what was noteworthy here was, without being prompted to do so, DeBoer mentioned Michael Penix first. The Indiana transfer, they had a year together back when DeBoer was the offensive coordinator at Indiana. He was the OC, then he was the head coach of Fresno State for two years. Ten wins in 2021. Now he's Washington's head coach, and he brings Penix over from Indiana presumably to be the starter, which I I understand, uh, and I'll get to in a moment. He then talks about Dylan Morris, who started last year, and I think on the whole, left Husky fans with uh, a lot to be desired on uh, that front, and he was ahead of a guy who played a little at the end of the year, but didn't seem quite ready for the moment. That's former five-star quarterback Sam Heward, and he said, look, all three want to be the starter. But he did not name one. He talked about, you know, they need to distribute the ball first and foremost. That's the most important thing a quarterback can do in his offense. That's coming from uh, his mouth, not mine. Uh, and then he don't that they don't have to have a running ability. That's not something that he predicates his offensive philosophy on. It's a, a tool that anyone could have. But he said he'd rather he have mental toughness and the ability to get the ball to all the weapons on the field rather than just being a guy who is mobile all the time. But he mentioned Penix first. He talked about Dylan Morris, and he, he spoke to the improvements that he has seen him make this offseason. Whether or not those can materialize on the field is a completely different question based on what we saw in 2021. And when talking about Sam Heward, he referred to him as, quote, the up-and-comer and the guy who is the furthest from his ceiling because he has had limited snaps at this point in time. And to me... What he said there at the end about the limited snaps is why if I were Washington's new head football coach going into 2022, I would start Sam Heward. Would I have brought in Penix to back him up? Yeah, maybe. I I mean, a veteran presence for a young quarterback, whether in college or the pros, can be a really valuable thing. I, I don't think that that would have been a bad move in any sense. But if I'm Kalen DeBoer, I would go with Sam Heward here. And the reason is that Washington, in my view, is in more of a rebuild than some people realize. They're over under win total this year, seven and a half. I think they're going to be well under that. I think if they just get to 500, that'd be good. But regardless of how you feel about them this year, ask yourself this question. Is Washington going to be close to the type of program that it is capable of being in 2022 record-wise? I think there's a pretty understood consensus that the answer is no, since their peak is getting to the college football playoff and winning the Pac-12 multiple times. That's not something they're going to accomplish in 2022. Neither of those things will take place. That'll be my first big prediction here on the show. I know, really, really bold. I'm going out on a limb. Washington won't win the conference, nor will they get to the Pac-12 championship game. 
But I would play the long game there with the quarterback room. I I would go with Sam Heward, let him grow, let him make mistakes, and then by the time you get some recruits on there, get your offensive system working and fully implemented, guys buying into it, feeling comfortable with, with it in 2023, then you can take a step forward because... He said he's the furthest away because he's had limited snaps right now. Well, you only have so many years with a guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that Heward is still young, but he's not going to be there forever. And I don't think there's just a ton to be gained from a record standpoint or, or a reputation standpoint by starting Michael Penix this year. So I'd go with Heward. Um, but right now, I, I do think it's it's more of an open competition than other teams are having. I think it's the most open competition. The fact that he made a point to mention all three of them, I think he's probably the only coach at Pac-12 Media Days that mentioned three quarterbacks going into fall camp. That's just not something that everyone is in a position to be able to do. But he was and he did. I'd go with Heward. I imagine they end up going with Penix because he's the most ready to win games right now. But if I were Washington, I'd be playing the long game here. And I think your long-term uh, future is is tied up there in Sam Heward at the quarterback position because he does have the highest ceiling. His physical traits are far beyond either Dylan Morris or uh, Michael Penix. And he just needs the reps. He just needs the snaps. And maybe he'll take over at some point this year. But uh, we'll just have to see how that all plays out. Everybody else has got some questions. They've got some assurances. We'll get to all of the 11 other Pac-12 schools that are not quite as fascinating, but still compelling when it comes to their quarterback room. But first, I tell you about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, uh, go Mariners, by the way, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even my personal favorite, golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts they've you covered head to bet online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action bet online where the game starts so there are some other teams that have a you know a mild question marks at the quarterback position i don't think any as severe as washington because they're they just have such big picture ramifications in terms of who they roll out this year but Colorado's is also interesting because they're the next closest to having a real competition or question mark about who's going to take a snap in uh, week one. They play September 1st against TCU. Colorado has Brendan Lewis on the roster, was a freshman last year, made some freshman mistakes. His completion percentage was under 60%. The offense didn't do a lot, but he does have experience. But JT Shrout is uh, coming off of an injury. He's expected to be able to compete for the starting quarterback job as well. I don't know that it's super clear who the leader is at this point in time. I imagine it'd be Brendan Lewis because he played in 2021 and Carl Durrell's talked about the youth that was on that team and how he expects them to be better because they were young, even though they got hit in the transfer portal pretty hard this off season. I think their defense losing uh, Blackman and Gonzalez, the corners, I think that's pretty tough. And then you lose Broussard and Rice offensively. Those are real playmakers at, uh, at important skill positions. Um, but I, I don't think that Brendan Lewis, though I imagine he'd have somewhat of an edge, his performance as a freshman, even when you expect freshmen to make mistakes right, and have growing pains, like that's normal as a quarterback. He did not do enough to claim the job in 2021. So if JT Shrout comes into fall camp and starts to, to really look good, there's a decent chance, I, I'd say good chance, he could be starting week one. He'd have to do that, right? I, I'm not saying that's super likely, but what I am saying is that job is not Brendan Lewis's to lose, right? Like uh, other teams that, that I'm going to get to here, they have quarterbacks who it's it's their job 
or it's his job to lose, right? Or or it's his job or nobody else's job essentially to start a quarterback. But I don't think that that Brendan Lewis has got that locked down. So I think Colorado is the second most interesting. Next one, this is when we start to get in the territory of I know who's most likely going to be starting, but there's still something to keep an eye on here. Uh, and that's Oregon State, Arizona State, and uh, Cal. And I'll, I'll throw Oregon kind of into that group a, as well. But Oregon State, I imagine this is Chance Nolan. I, I mean, last year they started Sam Neuer in that Purdue game. It didn't go well. And Chance Nolan came in and made a difference. And the Beavs went 7-6 and six last year which was the best year they've had so far under Jonathan Smith. And Chance Nolan did a lot of good things. Completion percentage in the low 60s. His touchdown interception ratio can improve, but it was solid. I, I thought he, he's got a decent arm. He's you know kind of mobile, doesn't have to be in that offense. you got to be able to throw on the run because Smith loves to do play-action boots and, and such, not from a very pro-style offensive attack. But I, I think that job is Chance Nolan's. Um, I, I'd watch for Tristan Jebbia, right? I mean, that, that's a name that, that could creep up if Nolan starts to struggle and can't find the success that he had a, a year ago. Or obviously, if he gets hurt, Jebbia is a guy who's going to uh, step in there. But based on last year uh, and the fact that Jonathan Smith complimented Chance Nolan when, when he was at Pac-12 Media Days and made a point to do that, I think it's pretty indicative of the fact that He's going to be the starter, and I think he should. I think he deserves a chance to be a starter for a full season and see if he can build on what he had last year. You want to see some areas of growth, for sure. Consistency being uh, consistently delivering the ball in an accurate manner, I think, is the place where he can improve the most at the quarterback position. But I, I think he did more than enough last year to where I can confidently say that should be the starter and he should be given every chance to, to succeed there and not be on some short leash or, or anything. Uh, speaking of that term, the short leash, let's go to Arizona State. Their head coach is on a short leash. <laughs> you come out and uh, stumble to a one and three beginning. I, I think Herm will be out of there in uh, Tempe and they'll be looking for a new coach. But uh, the quarterback position, you lose Jaden Daniels, which uh, sucks in one sense, though apparently he was not particularly well-liked in the locker room based on a video that was taken by one of his teammates who were, um, let's just say, not exactly sad that he was leaving, it, it seems. Um, that That's <laughs> enough on that. But uh, they bring in Emory Jones from Florida, former highly rated four-star recruit. Didn't exactly pan out at Florida. It's not bad. Uh, I mean, he's... You know, he's serviceable. He can move for, for sure. Like, he'll make some plays with his legs. He's won college football games before. He's not going to be intimidated by a big environment. Like, when Arizona State goes to Oklahoma State in, I believe it's week two uh, in Stillwater, I, I don't think that they're going to be, you know, in a situation where the quarterback is not ready for the environment or intimidated by the fans. Like, that, that's certainly a plus to having Emory Jones there. But here's the thing. I, I, I think the Emory Jones transfer is, is fine. It, it, it's, it's fine. Like, he could win you some games. But notice how I phrase that. He could win you some games. That's how I feel about Emory Jones. Herm Edwards needs to win a lot of games. He's got to win at least eight this year, or I think Arizona State has to have a new coach. And if Emory Jones is not cutting it in the early going, and they're having some losses, then a change could be made. They've got Paul Tyson on the roster, a former four-star quarterback who comes over from Alabama. And Emory Jones is expected to be the starter. Maybe Tyson leaps him, uh, leapfrogs him on the depth chart in in fall camp and, and surprises everybody. Maybe, but 
I, I think it's going to be Emory Jones, but I don't think he's going to go in and be be allowed to have you know two or three stinkers and, and people say, well, you know, he needs to be given time to to figure it out and, and adjust and what. Like, no, Herm knows, or at least Herm should know that he's got to win at least eight games this year, if not nine, to be able to comfortably keep his job. Because if they come out and and go six and seven, I don't think even seven and five would be uh, enough. But if they you know, are headed for a, a season that's at or below 500, then that's where a change will have to be made at the quarterback position if Emory Jones is not lighting the world up. Now, if Arizona State's losing and Jones is playing well, th- then he'll probably be fine. But that's one where I think the leash is kind of short because er, because Herm Edwards has to win. And if he sees the quarterback as being a position where they're not getting the most out of uh, their signal caller, then uh, they might make a switch there and try to, you know, change the mojo to put up some W's on the schedule. Cal is in a similar situation to Arizona State. Now, after getting an extension, a rather large extension, you would think Justin Wilcox is not under a ton of pressure, but based on how the records have gone and how 2021 played out, which was pretty disappointing for Cal, he should be under a little more pressure. I talked about that recently. Like, there should be more pressure on Justin Wilcox, but Cal's expectations as a football program have just not been very high. And so I don't know exactly what their standards are for success or failure going into 2022. But I think at some point, Wilcox needs to start consistently winning games. Like, at Cal, you got to at least, if you get that big of an extension, it's a six-year contract. I mean, that's a long, a long time to make that sort of, of commitment. And maybe he used the offer from Oregon as leverage to get that sort of deal. I, I don't know. But at some point, you got to be able to consistently win six to eight games at Cal to, to be able to continue to be their, their head football coach. Um, but they bring in Jack Plummer from Purdue, who I've talked about here. He's fine. He's not a disaster, right? He can make a play every now and then, but he's not very mobile. He doesn't have a big arm. He's pretty accurate, but he's not amazing at pushing the ball down the field consistently. It's not a, a strength of his. I'm sure Plummer will be the starter, and maybe he'll be serviceable enough, but he did get benched at Purdue last year. That's why he left the Boilermakers to come to Berkeley. And if things don't go well, I think not with as much pressure, but a similar mindset to what Herm Edwards needs to have at Arizona State, Justin Wilcox will look at his team and go, boy, the offense isn't there again, and I need to win football games as a head coach to justify that contract and shut down you know, any potential rumors of, is this the, the right guy for the job? And I, I think if Plummer starts to underwhelm, which I'm not saying he will, but I'm saying he could, right? Like Caleb Williams is not going to underwhelm at USC. DTR this year is not going to underwhelm at UCLA. I know what I'm getting from those guys. But Plummer, there's a situation I, I could foresee playing out where Cal fans look at the on-field product and say, this guy is not cutting it. And then the, the little birds will start to start to chirp and, and you'll start to read some pieces uh, from people who cover the Bears saying like, so... Uh, You've got four-star quarterback Kai Milner on there, who, who's a pretty highly rated recruit. You got three-star quarterback Zach Johnson. Like, if if this is the best we're getting with Jack Plummer here, is uh, is, is there nothing better? Like, are those guys way worse than this guy? And if so, why why are they both way worse than this guy? Because, and then again, that's if Jack Plummer goes out there and performs the way he did uh, over the latter portion of the games he started last season at uh, Purdue. But I, I think that that's that's one to monitor because 
That, that might even be, eh, no, I think Arizona State's still more interesting because of the pressure on Herm. But from a quarterback quarterback situation, I, I, I think Cal's got one where you might want to throw in the young guy if the if the veteran transfer you brought in doesn't start to work. Uh, speaking of veteran transfers, Bo Nix is uh, most likely going to be the starter for Oregon. I don't think that's much of a secret, but in case it is for people out there, Bo Nix will be the starter for Oregon this year. But assuming that's the case, the Ty Thompson situation becomes more and more interesting as each day passes without him playing, and you just kind of have in the back of your mind, especially now that Oregon has got Dante Moore coming in the class of 2023, a five-star and one of the top QBs in next year's recruiting cycle. You, you start to ask yourself the possibility, will Ty Thompson ever start a game at Oregon? There's a very realistic scenario where that answer is no. Bo Nix stays healthy this year and and does a good enough job to be the starting quarterback. And Ty Thompson has not surpassed him at this point in time. And then you go into next year and maybe Dante Moore comes in and he's more refined than Thompson or Jay Butterfield. And he's the starter. And then Ty Thompson might look to transfer. That's a very realistic situation. And so if Bo Nix, God forbid, were to suffer an injury this year, be fascinating to see which quarterback between him and a four-star uh, guy named Jay Butterfield, for those of you who don't know, who's on the roster as well, which of them would go into the game if Bo Nix were to go were to go down with an injury. Butterfield is more accurate, but Thompson has a better arm and better physical traits. But there's not a clear distinction between which one is above the other on the depth chart right now. And, you know, it just, I, I just think every day that passes where Ty Thompson's not the starter it'll start to creep into everybody's minds. Like, well, is he ever going to be the starter? Or is he? does he just not have it and he wasn't able to claim the job? And is he going to end up transferring out without starting a game at Oregon? I think that's a fascinating situation to follow. Last two here for uh, the quarterback rooms. Uh, I'm a big Jaden Delora fan. I, I think he's a gamer. He just goes out there and, and plays his arse off and just wants to ball. Uh, I mean, that guy loves playing football. There's nothing else to it. And he's not the biggest not the strongest, doesn't have the biggest arm, but he's effective. And I, I think he's a really good leader out there on the field a, as well. And uh, he, he's just, he likes to go out there and ball. That, that's that's what he wants to do. He's probably going to be the starter for Arizona. I can't imagine that, that he wouldn't be. Uh, I saw someone, I think it was the Arizona play-by-play guy, uh, tweet out that he was getting first team reps as fall camp opened. Um, Noah Fafita is there on, on the roster, a, a guy who... They're pretty high on down there in, in Tucson. So, you know, he, he's waiting in the wings in a sense. But the thing kind of similar to Ty Thompson here that, that I'd watch for in that in that scenario is Noah Fafita's there. And Jaden Delora, I believe he has three years of eligibility left because his first season was the, the COVID year. So that didn't count. So he could play football for three more years. Is Fafita really going to wait for three years? Maybe he will. Maybe he'll take a red shirt and, you know, be a red shirt junior by the time he comes around. It's his turn to start. Or maybe Delora would would leave the program or try to go pro. I don't know. Right. There's a number of different ways those things can play out. But I, I wonder if, you know, Jaden Delora is Arizona's quarterback for the next two or three years. Will Fafita hang around or will he ever seriously challenge him? Right. I, I mean, that's the other thing you watch for uh, in fall camp this year is how close does Noah Fafita come to, to really giving, giving Jaden Delore a run for his money for Arizona's uh, starting quarterback job. Uh, and then lastly here, 
for the one that has like any amount of intrigue. And again, these are lower on uh, the list. I'll say I think Arizona and UCLA are uh, a step below Oregon State, Arizona State, Cal, and Oregon that you know have some intrigue and what the way things could uh, could shift around. Um, but UCLA, I have just one question about their quarterback room. I know it's going to be DTR. It should be DTR. He's probably one of the three best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, I think I'd probably go Caleb Williams, then Cam Rising, then probably DTR going into the season. We'll see what Cam Ward is able to do up at Washington State. He could be really good as well. Um, but the only question I've got for UCLA's quarterback room is if DTR gets a little banged up, which has happened before, especially for a guy who runs that much, how ready can Ethan Garbers be to fill in and keep UCLA afloat? Because that's what you would need from a backup quarterback in in that situation, ju- just keep you afloat. Because UCLA, their schedules are really favorable this year. They could rack up a lot of wins. But if DTR goes down and, and then the offense starts to suffer because he's not there, then that is not what you would want to see a, as a Bruins fan. And so that's the question I have is, what is your backup plan if something happens to to Dorian Thompson Robinson next year? Be much more interesting for uh, UCLA in what will be their uh, final season in the Pac-12. Um, but I I think that that is really the on, the only thing there because DTR we, we know what he is and he's been rock rock solid. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.